Check, check. One, two. Oh, there we are. Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, January 13th, 2013. The message for this morning is Kneeling Before God Our Father by Pastor Ryan Cochran, based on Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Special music for this morning will be provided by Debbie Tobert. Let's pray. Lord, we are here now to hear from you. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak. Amen. May the Lord be with you. Amen. If you remember back in October, our church celebrated a special event. It was our church's 85th anniversary. And uh, during that weekend, we were uh, privileged to have Pastor Norm Pelkey here to, to preach to us. And uh, Pastor Norm spoke from the book of Ephesians and spoke to us about the great calling that we have as a church, as members of God's church. And I want to return to the, the book of Ephesians today and to remind you of some of this high calling uh, that God has given to us. As most of you know, our, our church is presently in the middle of a time where we're seeking God's direction, uh, God's vision for our church. Our church's leadership uh, started a process of discernment back in October, right around the time when we celebrated our 85th anniversary, uh, a process where we would be able to uh, engage with you as the congregation, uh, engage together in times of prayer as we seek God's direction for our church. I'm going to be talking a little bit about that process today and, and reminding you of some of the ways that we're inviting you to participate. Uh, throughout this process, there are going to be uh, many ways for you to be involved. We started this whole process back in October with a prayer breakfast where we came together for the purpose of praying for this uh, discernment process. Uh, most of you have already participated in, in one way in filling out the survey that we gave to you last November. And there's going to be, continue to be ways for you to be involved, both by giving your input, uh, sharing some of your concerns and your hopes for our church, and also, and more importantly, invitations for you and for all of us as a congregation to pray for this process as we seek God's direction. And so this morning, I want to return to the book of Ephesians and to look at a prayer that Paul prays for the church. Our scripture reading today is a prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and it is a, church, a prayer for us today as well. The book of Ephesians is my favorite letter in the New Testament. Um, you may or may not remember, but about five years ago, I preached through the book of Ephesians, and for me, that was a life-changing experience. Uh, it helped me to better understand God's purposes for the church, why he has created this thing called the church, and what our purpose is in the world. It was a life-changing experience for me. I love the book of Ephesians. And throughout the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul spends a great deal of time telling the Ephesians who they are. Who they are in Christ. What their identity is in Christ who they are as followers of Jesus. 
He reminds them of who they are in the eyes of God, and he tells them about the amazing work that God wants to do through them because of their faith in Christ. Now, the church in Ephesus was a relatively small group of people. Uh, The city of Ephesus was a very large city, probably the third largest city in the Roman Empire during that time, a city probably of about a million people, which during that time was uh, a very large city. But the Christian church in Ephesus was very small. And not only that, but if the church in Ephesus was anything like any of the other churches throughout the Roman Empire at that time, they were made up of people from very low socioeconomic and political classes. People who had very little political capital, people who had very little power, people who had very little money. At the time that this letter was written, it's unlikely that the church in Ephesus had any more than maybe a couple hundred of people in it, and certainly didn't have a a big building on, on the main thoroughfare of a city like we have here at Ebenezer. There were likely a couple hundred people who met in houses throughout the city, just a couple hundred people in a city of about a million people. But in spite of their smallness, In spite of their political and social insignificance, in the letter of Ephesians, Paul makes remarkable claims about who they are in the eyes of God. Listen to some of the ways that Paul describes this small, insignificant group of people. All of these descriptions come from the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Paul tells them that they were predestined before the world even began to be holy and blameless in the eyes of God. He tells them that they are adopted children of God. He tells them that because of their faith in Christ, that they now mysteriously are seated with Christ at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. He tells them that they have been saved by the grace of God shown to us when Christ died on the cross. Paul tells them that they were created by God, that they are a part of his new creation as a part of the church, and he tells them that they are God's workmanship. God's workmanship. His creation, created and saved by God for a specific plan and purpose, for a calling for a vocation in the world, in the world, a calling that was so important, Paul says, that God planned this calling before he even created the world. Paul tells them that in this body called the church, when Jew and Gentile meet together to worship God, that they are turning the spiritual world upside down and that the demons and the angels watch in awe at what God is doing in bringing people together in Christ. He tells them that when they come together as this diverse people under the authority of Christ, that they are a visible expression of what God is going to do at the end of all time when he brings all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation under his authority. These are the kinds of things that Paul says to this small, insignificant group of people. What do we make of this? Is Paul crazy? Does he realize the claims that he's making to this small, uh, uninfluential group of people? How do we make sense of his words? The church in Ephesus is not even a footnote in our history books. 
And yet Paul suggests to them that they are among some of the most important people in the history of the world because of their faith in Christ. The only way that these words can make any sense at all is that if we recognize by faith that there is a spiritual world that exists that we cannot see, that there is more going on in the universe than we can see with our eyes, that there is a spiritual reality to our world that is actually more real and in many ways more important than the world that we look at and can touch and observe with our eyes. The only way that Paul's words can make any sense at all is that if we come to believe that what we call power, what we call influence, is actually nothing at all, and that God can destroy it all with a mere word. The only way that Paul's words make sense is if we believe that what we tend to believe is important, what we tend to strive for in our life, that is wealth and independence and comfort and physical security and safety, that these things are meaningless when compared to knowing Christ when compared to living our lives in total dependence on him and living toward this eternal salvation that we have in him, these things that we tend to pursue are meaningless compared to this relationship that we can have in Christ. Without belief in this spiritual reality, Paul's words about who the people of Ephesus are at best make Paul sound like some idiot whose words don't make any sense at all, or at worst, maybe an insane person. But Paul was not an idiot, and he was quite sane. Paul was in tune with reality. He was in tune with the spiritual world that is very real and knew that our physical world that we live in only makes sense in light of it and not the other way around. And so Paul, without any hint of embarrassment at all, tells this small group of powerless people that they are an important part of God's plan in history, a people through whom the creator of the world is going to reveal himself and through whom he is going to bring about his purposes in history. Maybe I sound like an idiot. Maybe I sound crazy, but that is what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And what it's important for us today is to ask ourselves, do we believe that this is the word of God to us? The description that Paul gives to the church in Ephesus is true of the church in Vancouver, true of Ebenezer Baptist Church. The church in Vancouver is relatively small. Few people in this city claim to know and love Christ. Ebenezer, we are a relatively small group of people. Do we believe that what Paul says about who we are in Christ is true? I think the great struggle that any serious reader of Ephesians has is this struggle to believe that what Paul says is true. Because all of us have a difficult time believing in this spiritual reality where we have a treasure in heaven, where we're called to live in childlike dependency on God rather than to acquire comfort and safety and security here on earth, things that we can touch and taste. Those are the things that we tend to believe in and strive for, and Paul points us beyond them 
to the reality of this spiritual world where we are seated at the right hand of God. And he's seeking to open our eyes to this reality. And Paul is telling us that in Christ, through Christ's death and resurrection, that God has rescued us from darkness, from believing that our lives must be lived in pursuit of these things that are meaningless, and has brought us into the kingdom of light, where we can have meaning and purpose and live for things that will last forever. Paul invites us to enter into the kingdom of Christ, to live lives that reflect that kingdom, to live lives that will have an impact on God's history and on his eternity. Paul has a vision for the reality of the spiritual world, and he invites us to share this vision of reality. This is an important season in the life of our church. We celebrated 85 years of God's faithfulness to our church. We celebrated good ministry that has happened throughout those 85 years. And we want now to continue to ask and continue to be faithful and ask, how can we as a church live faithfully to this incredible calling that God has given to us as a church? How can we better, right now, make disciples of Jesus here at Ebenezer who know and love God and who live as a visible expression of God's grace to their neighbors? How as a community can we better live as a visible expression of the kingdom of God to the city of Vancouver? That is what Paul wanted for the people of Ephesus. And he spends the first three chapters describing who they are as this visible expression of the kingdom of God. And after describing all of their identity, he comes to this part of the letter where he prays for the church. He prays for them. We're going to get to that prayer in a moment. But after this prayer, beginning in chapter 4, Paul describes to the people of Ephesians what they are to do. He spent three chapters talking about who they are, who God has made them to be in Christ. And then he spends the last three chapters telling them what they are to do. And he begins the chapter, chapter 4, with make every effort to live out the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our spiritual life must be lived out in our physical world in real and concrete ways in relationships with uh, our boss and those who work under us, in our relationships with a husband and wife, with parent and child, with friendships. Our spiritual life, what we have experienced in Christ, must be made concrete, must be lived out in our physical world. And Paul spends these first three chapters telling the Ephesians who they are, and then these last three chapters telling them what to do, how to live out their identity. But before describing to them what they are to do, what their lives need to look like, Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. Prays this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, that Bev read for us earlier. This prayer is the center point of the entire letter. 
It's the part of the letter that the, the whole letter hinges on this letter. It begins with that discussion of who they are, and then Paul prays, and then it moves in the last three chapters to talk about what they are to do. He prays. Paul tells the Ephesians who they are, and he says, For this reason, because you have been called to this high purpose, I kneel and pray. And he prays for them that they will be a people who will be able to live faithfully out of this identity. He prays for them, and I want to suggest that this prayer, 2,000 years later, is also for us. So here at Ebenezer, through this discernment process, uh, through doing things like a church survey, through inviting you to participate in some roundtable discussions in February and March, to give your opinions and expressions of where you hope our church will go, through doing these things, we are making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, to hear how God is speaking through the words and experiences of each one of us. We are making every effort to find out what it is that God is calling us to do. But, like Paul's letter to the Ephesians, discovering who we are, finding out what we should do, we need to remember, as Paul knows, is a spiritual matter. It's a matter that requires prayer. It's a matter that should lead us to come humbly to God and ask for his revelation and ask for his direction. This process that we are in is not just a human exercise. We're not just some organization that gives a survey out to hear from their customers so that we can hear what our customers want and then do it so that our customers will be happy. We are not that kind of organization. We are not just any organization that's trying to maintain its building and its budgets. We are not just an organization that's seeking to uh, survive in the marketplace. We are part of God's church. We are God's new creation by water and the word that we just sang about. We are not just a human organization that runs on human strength and human cleverness and human ideas. If we are going to discern together what we as God's church are called to do, we must kneel and pray. If we're going to do what God wants us to do as a church, we must kneel and pray. If we're going to do what God wants us to do as a church, we must kneel and pray. Paul begins this prayer, this center point of this entire letter, by saying, For this reason, I kneel. In other words, because church in Ephesus, because you are the church of God, because you are not just some human organization that can run on your own strength, because of that, I kneel. Because, church in Ephesus, because Ebenezer Baptist Church, you are the church of God, because you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, because you are the people who are called to be a visible expression of God's kingdom on earth, for this reason, I kneel. For this reason, I kneel. If a small group of insignificant people 
are going to participate in God's eternal plan for history and have a real impact on that plan. We must kneel and pray. Kneeling is the classic posture of prayer. Kneeling is a posture of humility. If you have spent time on your knees in prayer, you will know that after a few minutes, or maybe if you're really good at it and have done it a lot, but eventually it starts to hurt a little bit. It's not a comfortable position to be in. Kneeling is a posture of humility. It says to God, God, I am nothing without you. Kneeling is also a posture of powerlessness. If you think about someone who kneels, they can't really do much, can they? They can't go anywhere very fast. They, can't, they don't have their feet to move very fast. And really, even if I wanted to do something with my upper body, I don't have much power in this position. It is a posture of powerlessness. When we kneel, we say, God, we are powerless without you. This week, as I spent time praying on my knees, I realized, too, that prayer is a posture that says we're not going to go anywhere very fast. If I wanted to move here, I wouldn't move very quickly, would I? When we pray, we are saying to God, we're not going anywhere without you. Prayer is a posture of humility. It's a posture of powerlessness. It's a posture of saying, God, I'm not going anywhere without you. We need to kneel and pray. We need to tell God and be humble. We need to tell God and show him that we know we are powerless. We are nothing without him. And we need to show God in our kneeling that we're not going anywhere without him. For this reason, I kneel. This is an important season in the life of our church. It's a time where we're seeking God's direction for our church, a, a time where we are inviting you as, as the leadership of this church to join with us to speak about your experience of the church, to speak about your hopes, your dreams about where our church could be three years, five years, 85 years from now. But more importantly, this process is an opportunity for our church to learn to seek God together. To learn to pray. To come to know God together. What is happening to us in this process is just as important as to whatever conclusions we come to at the end of the day. What God wants to do in transforming our hearts as we seek him during this time is just as important as whatever goals we may set for ourselves for a year or three years or five years down the road. God, in this process, wants to change us and transform us. And so during this process as a church, I suggest to you we need to learn how to kneel, to seek God humbly in prayer and to allow him to move us wherever he wants us to go. 
in this prayer, this is really what Paul prays for us. I could preach and have preached long sermons on this prayer, but this is really what Paul prays. Paul's prayer is that we will come to know and love God, and that through our knowledge and love for God, that he would become the controlling force in our life. That's what the summary of this prayer is, that we would come to know and to love God, and that God would become the controlling force in our life. Let me just read this prayer for you again and think about this prayer in light of that summary. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In every line, Paul cries out that we would know God, Father, Son, and Spirit, crying that we would know his power, his love, his strength, and experience his fullness in our life. In this prayer, Paul is speaking about the role that the Spirit plays in our individual lives. Each of us who know Christ have been given the Spirit. The Spirit indwells in our inner person as the language that Paul used, in our hearts. He dwells in the hearts of every believer, and it is Paul's prayer in this passage that this spirit would take control of that heart, take control of our inner person, and give us power to do the things that God has called us to do and be. What Paul is saying in this passage is that the spirit of God that hovered over the waters in Genesis and created the whole world, the Spirit of God that overshadowed the Virgin Mary. This Spirit no longer hovers, no longer overshadows. The Spirit dwells in us. And this creative Spirit, that is what the Spirit does, This creative spirit is doing a work of new creation in you so that Christ will become the controlling force in your life. The spirit is doing a creative work in your heart so that your life will be a place where Jesus makes his dwelling, where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus is in control. And so throughout this whole process, as we are seeking to discern God's direction for our whole church, as you pray, this is what the Spirit is going to be doing in you. And as we, as a whole congregation, pray on our own and together, put ourselves in a posture before God where we say to him, we are humble, we are powerless, we are going nowhere without you, it is this new creative work that the Spirit will be doing in each of us. The process that we are going to go through together, that we are going to go through together, the work that God wants to do in our hearts in this process is just as important as whatever decisions we come to at the end. 
So your leadership has invited you and will be continuing to invite you into this time of discernment. The season of seeking God and listening to his direction in the life of our church. On February 16th and on March 9th, all of you are invited to come to two roundtable discussion days where from the results of the survey, the leadership is going to come with some questions for you, asking you for ideas, asking you to share some of your hopes for the future of our church. We believe that the Spirit of God does not only dwell with pastors and elders and deacons, but the Spirit of God is dwelling in each and every believer and the Spirit can speak through each one of us. And so we want to hear from you, the whole church, as we seek to wrestle with these questions. So there's going to be times when we want your contribution, your input into where you believe God may be leading our congregation in the years ahead. So I'm asking you to make it a priority in your life to come on February 16th and March the 9th. And through this process, we are also asking you to pray. For this reason, I kneel. We want to be a people who keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We want to be a people who do what God wants us to do. And so for this reason, we kneel. Next Friday, the 25th, you, you, you are invited to come and to join us to pray for our church. We'll start at 5.30 and spend a couple hours singing, praising, and praying for this process. And then we'll spend some time eating together and enjoying one another's company. If you can't get there at 5.30, come when you can. Come and join us to pray. In a few weeks down the road, we're going to be inviting all of you to fast to join together as a church to fast and to pray. And I'll be doing some teaching on fasting and showing how the power of fasting can lead us and transform us. And that can be a transformative experience for us as individuals and a congregation. For this reason, we kneel. Ebenezer is not just a human organization. We do not make our decisions based on our own cleverness, our own strength. We are a part of God's new creation the church. This discernment process we are entering into is not a business exercise. We are the people of God in whom the Spirit dwells and through whom the Spirit speaks. That is who we are. And so for this reason, we kneel. We seek God in prayer. We ask him to strengthen us through his power in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So that we as a people will know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Don't you love that phrase? To know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is what we're being invited into in our relationship with God what we're seeking to be transformed into as his people. And so may this process, before anything else, before it leads us to any kind of conclusions, before it leads us to any kind of goals and action, may this process of discernment lead us to pray so that we will know and experience these things that Paul prays for us in Ephesians 3. 
And now listen to the closing of Paul's prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is going to be our theme verse in the coming months, these two verses. We kneel before him who is able to do immeasurably more than ever we could ask or imagine, or Paul says, even hope for. This is the one that we kneel before. So as we close today and sing our closing song, I want you to invite you now uh, to come forward with me and to kneel and to begin praying if you haven't already done so for this process, or continue to pray if you have been to come forward and to kneel here at the altar for this process. If kneeling is not possible for you, feel free to come forward and sit in one of the first couple rows and to pray. Would you join me?